Daniel Miller is the president of the Texas is uh, the, the president of the Texas Nationalist Movement, and their mission is to secure and protect the political, cultural, and economic independence of the nation of Texas, and to restore and protect a constitutional republic and the inherent rights of the people of Texas. Identifying, communicating with, and organizing Texans who support independence and supporting candidates at every level that support Texas independence and the principles of Texas nationalism. He has an interesting book out called Texit. I read it. I, well, I finished it last night, began it earlier in the week, and it's fascinating in the way that it presents not only a reasoned cause for Texas regaining its, its, uh, itself as a republic, but also it goes through the practical steps, and it deflates some of the noise and the, the storm and drang about uh, about the, the Texas nationalist movement being some kind of uh, uh, treasonous treasonously motivated people it's a very rational thing that does not depend upon the force of arms daniel welcome to the microphones and telephones of liberty watch hi charles thanks for having me my pleasure as i like to tell people i'm glad you can be had and just so, <laughs> just so you know daniel is an entrepreneur running his family business and online radio radio station and he is uh, devoted himself almost entirely to uh, the sovereignty of the nation of Texas. And I like the way you, you, assu you assume positively when you talk about the nation of Texas. Tell us your, your view of that. How do, what is your view of what the nation of Texas will become? Well, I mean, that, that presupposes some, some future thinking, and I'm sure we'll get to that some, but, but I really think we – Probably ought to take what you just said initially and, and talk about it, uh, about the, especially the nationhood of Texas. Okay. Um, you know, I, I, Charles, I'll tell you this. I, I firmly believe that if the people within the, the United States truly understood the definitions of the words nation, state, and country, as opposed to using them interchangeably, which I, I talk about in the book, uh, I think that the way that we interact with one another and especially with the federal government will become a, a lot more clear. Uh, but, but that being said, when we talk about, and, and when I talk about the nation of Texas, I, I talk about the people of Texas. You know, as the, the framers and founders of the United States understood, the, the people in the, the various states understood, each state was effectively its own self-governing independent nation state. Uh, they were uh, not this consolidated mass of one people. So, uh, you know, when I when I talk about the nation of Texas, absolutely it's aspirational, but beyond that, it's a recognition of a fact. Well, I think that a lot of people don't realize today, especially people coming up who haven't read a lot about the foundation of the country and the intent of the of the founders, and and read back to the philosophy of Locke and such and 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 other people who are who the founders listen to if they don't under if they look if they don't aren't knowledgeable of that they don't understand that the states are not a political subdivision of the nation that the nation is the agent of the states that the nation didn't form the states the states the original 13 states founded the nation founded the federal government and then rewrote the federal government in going from the articles of confederation to the constitution 
and that, like I say, the states are not the vassal of the federal government. That changed a lot in after the Civil War when the states oppressed uh, oppressed some of their citizens, and the federal government kind of took it upon itself to enforce, uh, selectively enforce the Bill of Rights upon the states. It began to change. That relationship began to change after the Civil War. But it still, the the states are not the uh, the states are not the, a political subdivision of the country. Maybe you can address that. No, it's it's absolutely the case. Um, you know, I think w- when you go look at the words of the framers and the founders, you know, the, the folks that are closest to the source, uh, and and not just of the United States, but even when you look at the interactions between Texas and the Mexican government uh, leading up to the Texas Revolution, uh, you know, you, you understand this their mindset, which is, uh, you know, I, both Hamilton, who actually had a dream of of consolidating all the states into one body politic and the states merely acting as administrative subdivisions. Even he had to admit uh, the fact that the Constitution did not consolidate the mass of the people. Uh, you know, wh- whether you look at Hamilton, Jefferson, uh, Adams, uh, George Mason, I mean, you, you look at the, the writings of, of all of these people contemporary to, to contemporaneous to the Constitution, uh, you know, what you find out is that this is indeed the case. And, and I think it was important. One of the reasons that I, I spent some time giving this some, some breathing room inside the book was in, in modern day, uh, you know, right now in the 21st century, I mean, we're seeing this, this awakening of ind- independent nation states. You know, self-governance is in vogue. And, uh, you know, the, the just go look at what happened with, the Brexit debate, and especially how that's rooted in Euroscepticism. And so obviously when all of that is entering into the public consciousness through mass media, you know, there's obviously these comparisons that pop up between what we're doing here in Texas and what's going on. I mean, you know, even the term Texit is very similar to Brexit, and I actually talk about the the origins of that in in the book. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there, there is this sense from the opposition that says, look, these two are not alike in any way, shape, form. Okay, These are complete, two completely different things. But when you drill it down and you look at what the United States of America really is, the, the composition of the Union, its original intent, uh, even, even to the extent of how it currently operates and, and the trappings that go with that, uh, there is a, a direct and clear analog between the American Union and the European Union in the sense that uh, when the European nations signed on to the agreement that is the European Union, none of them ever uh, posited to fully give up their sovereignty. They did much like the original states did in ratifying the Constitution, which is they said, look, we're going to take these things, we're going to manage them together, and you know they specified a, a, a very... Yeah, short list of right. those things. Seventeen. We're going to allow that to be managed by the federal government. Right. And seventeen. That, seventeen items in Article One, Section Eight. Right. So, you know, there, I think there are very clear analogs between this uh, for those who really understand what the United States of America really is, which is not a, you know, it, it's not a solitary monolithic nation state. Uh, the United States of America is akin to the European Union in the sense that it is a federative republic where we have a treaty, a.k.a. compact. I mean, it really is a compact that says, look, 
we're going to manage these things in common. And beyond that, we retain all rights of sovereignty that are afforded to any independent nation state around the world. Right. And the the states formed that compact, and they appointed the federal government as their agent, much in the way we appoint a special agent. That's why they're called special agents in the FBI, because they have limited authorities. The problem is, is that the in the FBI because they have limited authorities. The problem is, is that the 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 creation has grown and experienced to some sense a, a sickle cell growth. And what you have now is a metastasis of government, and that the creation has become so large and so all-encompassing that it has a tendency to assume its its clients. Well, there's no doubt. I mean, I think the analogy has been made more often than not that the federal government is a very aggressive form of cancer. Right. Uh, you know, once once it, it hit once it all semblance that. of control left. Well, it, it, there's no doubt about that. Right. I mean, that I think is the natural tendency of these supranational governing bodies um, right. to, to do that. I mean, once once they realize that there's money to be made in right. bureaucracy and that there is a, a lot of power out there to be had by these incremental thefts of, of sovereignty and, and liberty, uh, then you're going to see it grow. And, I mean, look, that's been the trajectory of the federal government over the last 100 years is one of, massive growth and, yeah I, th- I think you have to look at disregard for its governing document i think you have to look at lord acton's dictum that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely but one way to uh, interrupt that corruption is to have uh, commercial endorsements and that's exactly what we have coming up so stand by on am 1030 kvoi cortero tucson the voice in the perfection AutoWorks Studios. We're talking with uh, Daniel Miller, and Daniel has a wonderful book called Texit, where, uh, where he lays down both the moral underpinnings and the reasons why Texas should become its own nation, and then a method and a pathway to do it. On AM 1030 KVOI, Cortero Tucson, The Voice, in the Perfection AutoWorks Studios. Call in now if you'd like. Uh, what you got going on there, Granny? I'm fixing the car, Jed. Well, you know, we usually take it over to uh, Perfection Auto Works. Well, I figure if I put some of my tonic in there, it'll help it run smoother. Well, I don't think that's such a great idea there, Granny. Hey, Uncle Jed, have you seen Granny? Well, Jethro, I expect her back down any time now. Ooh, doggy, what you call Perfection Auto Works and have to send over a tow truck. When your granny comes back down from working on her car, send both her and her car to Perfection Auto Works. Y'all here? We specialize in that car that nobody else can fix. All of our work is warranted for one year or 12,000 miles. A free 26-point inspection can reveal hidden problems and save you money. Call today, 323-8650, or visit our website at perfectionautoworks.com, 323-8650. Welcome back now, dude. This is Chef Michael Elefante, and I have an idea for your business. Take your clients to lunch at Mama Luisa's, of course. They'll be impressed by our pasta bar cooked to their preference right in front of them. Or try our famous Joe Special with hot pepper seeds, garlic and oil, and topped with cheese and baked to perfection. You'll get their business and some great food. Mama Luisa's. Since 1956, Mama Luisa's has thrilled your palate with great Italian food. And we cater. 2041 South Craycroft, 790-4702. 
This is Herman Cain, and you're listening to Liberty Watch, so that government remains servants, not master. Call in now at 520-790-2040. Tired of high prices? How about you set the price? Yes, that's right. You decide how much to pay. Auction Surplus Tucson has hundreds of items on auction right now where you set the price. Items like furniture, hardware, toys, bicycles, household goods, and so much more. Auction Surplus Tucson is an online auction where you set the price. It's easy. Just go to AuctionSurplusTucson.com. AuctionSurplusTucson.com, where you set the price. In 1876, the Winchester Repeating Arms Company came out with its Centennial model, chambered into powerful 4570 and 5095 cartridges. 4570 meant a 45 caliber bullet over a charge of 70 grains of black powder. In its day, it was a powerful cartridge. It still is. You may see the 76 at Frontier Guns, where they've been since 1971. Own this piece of history or trade in one of yours at Frontier Guns, 3156 East Grant. Second and I, God Bless Texas, and here to talk with us about that is Daniel Miller. He's got a wonderful book out called Texit. And what is the subtitle on Texit, Daniel? I don't have the book in front of me. Yeah, it's uh, Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union. Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union. And so let's talk about countries since World War II that have, quote, left the Union around the world. I know one I was listening to a news about today, South Sudan broke away from Sudan. There's, I mean, if you look locally in the United States after the revolu- after the, uh, the, the Civil War, or some folks say the War of Northern Aggression, the uh, uh, West Virginia was separated from uh, from Virginia. So there are examples both locally, both near and far. Talk a little bit about the countries that have formed and, and such since the Second World War, how many there were and how many there are. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Uh, early on in the research, not for this book, but, I mean, frankly, I've been at this for uh, 22 years now. Uh, and one of the things that became very apparent uh, toward the tail end of the 20th century in the 90s was that there have been uh, there's been this explosion of self determination and self government. Um, and and the stat that I that I think really just blew me out of my chair uh, when I saw it was that at the end of World War II, there were 54 recognized countries around the world, and at the end of the 20th century, there were 192. And that number has even crept up. I mean, you mentioned uh, South Sudan, uh, mm-hmm. which to me is a fascinating case. I actually wrote about South Sudan uh, in, in my first book back in 2011, uh, where you literally have the Sudanese that are engaged in a civil war for over 30 years. I mean, these, these folks were killing each other. Uh, over the right of, of how they were going to govern. Okay? Uh, you've got a very large uh, Christian population in the south, very large Muslim population in the north, and they just could not agree on governance. And so they 
started killing each other for 30 years. Uh, these people killed each other. The the the, um, the casualty counts were in the millions. And what became the path to peace for them that silenced the guns was the recognition that, look, we can have a North Sudan and we can have a South Sudan. We can each agree on how we govern, you know, ourselves. We have that fundamental right of self-government, and then we can be friends. And and to see that reconciliation after 30 years of bloodshed and seeing the idea of self-government being the path to peace, I think, is, is very inspirational. I wonder if they could apply that model to Chicago. <laughs> But I digress. I will tell you, the the, the problem in Chicago is definitely one of governance. There is no doubt about that. Right, it is. Sometimes I'm surprised what comes out when I open my mouth. What I'm saying, though, is, is that there has been a trend to do exactly this. If you look at, uh, you know, Canada didn't get its independence from England until the uh, the 20th century. Then yeah, it's uh, it was still concerned. I, I have. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. You're the guest. I want to hear well, you. I, no, no, it's okay. Uh, you know, it's funny because I've got a, a really close friend that's a uh, he's a, a university professor out in Vancouver, uh, and he and I have this conversation an awful lot uh, about that because it's always interesting to see the international perspective on this. You know, the, the reason that all of this is rather shocking to people here in the United States is it. They they don't understand it. I mean, they they don't look at it from a global perspective. It's like uh, a good, good example. And of course, you mentioned you know obviously uh, Canada, but I'll, I'll take you one even more recent than that. When the Scottish referendum cropped up in, in 2014, the referendum where the Scots wanted to vote to leave the UK, uh, the domestic media was absolutely silent on this thing up until about a week before the vote was about to happen. I mean, uh, honestly, they could, the byline on every um, every article about this should have read Marcel Marceau. I mean, that's just how quiet they were on this thing. Yes, I'm uh, wildly waving as you speak. <laughs> Don't do that walking in the wind thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, right. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, what I think is, you know, but a, a week before, the referendum's going to happen. And not to mention these guys have been fighting for this for 800 years, and the political moves have been going on for almost a decade at that point to make it happen. But a week before, all of a sudden, it becomes this big deal, and everyone's caught you know, by surprise. They're, they're so surprised that this is going to happen. But people really here within the, in the, the states of the United States don't really seem to understand what's happening on this particular issue around the world. You know, we go back to that that stat, the you know, from World War II to the end of the 20th century. And when I when I rattle that off to people, they seem absolutely shocked about it. But yet, when you talk about it in the context of say, well, you did see the dissolution of the Soviet Union, right? Okay, well that counts. I mean, these yeah. things happen, and they've been happening, and they're going to continue to happen. Well, the human experience is dynamic, not static. There is no one point at which, at which there is no one point at which we say, "Okay, this is how the world is supposed to be." And it's no different than with climate change. You know, there's a word for planets where the climate doesn't change. The word is dead. 
<laughs> That's exactly right. Now we can and argue. Even the supposedly dead planets have some climate change. Right, and we can but... argue. You know, more Mars has experienced global warming. It must be all those SUVs that are running around on the planet, or it must be the <laughs> no, it must be the Mars rover that did it. <laughs> the the right. global warming. We can argue about how much humans have to do with it, but change is the nature. I mean, God designed a system that evolves. For crying out loud! So, I, going back, to, I want I want to go. We've leapt forward a little bit bit in this, and I want to go back to something. You talk about the reasons for Texas going back to the republic it once was, and some of the reasons that the United States is not fulfilling its its promises, and it's it's not it's not the it, this is not the country that Texas signed up to be a part of. Expand on that a little bit, if you would. Explain why the underpinnings of why you want to do what you want to do. Yeah, it's it's uh, when when I went to craft this particular part of the book, uh, it was really I think important to give some some oxygen to some of the reasons that we've heard people talk about here in Texas uh, and talk about it really from a Texas perspective about how Texans view the federal government. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that becomes fairly obvious when you start enumerating all of the different issues uh, that, that we've heard over the years uh, is, first and foremost, is that the Texas experience in relation to the federal government is not unique to Texas. I mean, there are obviously some unique aspects to it uh, that we have to deal with that some places don't. Uh, but, you know, the grievances that we have oftentimes with the federal government uh, that we experience are not unique to Texas. I mean, you could literally scratch Texas out and write any state in there, and and it would make sense. But when you distill it all down, uh, and after dealing with and, and meeting and engaging with literally thousands of people over the years on this particular issue, what it really boils down to is that Texans are sick and tired of living under 180,000 pages of federal laws, rules, and regulations administered by 440 separate agencies and 2.5 million unelected bureaucrats. Uh, Texans at a very visceral level don't feel like uh, that the bureaucracy in Washington, D.C., the political class, understand our challenges or have the capability or desire to address those challenges. Do you think, Daniel, though, that if Texas were to become the sovereign republic it once was, that it would be subject to the same winds of change and the same pull to regulate things? I mean, I don't know that the soul of the, of, of the, the, the human soul is any, with all due respect, is any different with a Texan or an Oklahoman or a person who lives in D.C., I don't know that the human being is any different. And the tendency towards the accumulation, the the uh, the the gathering together of power, I don't know that it would be any different in Texas if it were a separate country. Do you? No. And look, I, I make it very clear in the book and, and what I've been out engaging people is that, you know, we're not promising utopia. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just that's just not going to happen. No, Even utopia. Pl- you know, utopia planitia mm-hmm. is a colon- colony that will happen near Mars. <laughs> it's the shipyard, <laughs> right? Okay. Exactly where the Enterprise is uh, built. Oh, we could talk for hours. <laughs> go ahead. Right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. You don't but, promise utopia. No, no worries. Yeah, go ahead. You we can. We don't promise utopia, but but look, here, here's what it boils down to. And, and, I mean, if you want to take it down to the simplest terms, here's what it is. Why deal with 
two layers of ineffective bureaucracy when you can when you have an option to deal with only one. You know, why have that extra layer of the onion when you can get rid of it? Uh, and and look, and I'll tell you from practical. Okay, this is and I think it's important. And I know we're we're probably running close to a break. But let me let me try to bullet. You're dead. On, you're dead on. Down. But go ahead. <clears throat> Here's what it boils down to. Uh, right now, and we've seen this practically in dealing with the electorate here in Texas, and, and it happens everywhere else, is there is this almost fervent uh, focus on all things federal because folks believe that the federal government is the biggest place that has the biggest impact on their lives and the place where they want change, right? You, When you have pain, you go to where that pain is originating to try to alleviate it. Uh, and, and so the challenge is, is that with the federal government out there running interference in this direction, uh, we see that the state level guys on down typically get a free pass because everyone's looking toward the bureaucrats in D.C. You remove that distraction. You remove their ability to impact how we govern. And what you'll see now is an increased focus on government that is close enough to drive to when they step out of line. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I think. Washington's being known as the seat of government is accurate because <laughs> it play, it places the rectum close to the seat. <laughs> All right. Stand by on AM 1030 KVOI, Cortero, Tucson, the voice in the Perfection Auto Works studios. Call in now at 520-790-2040. Aho Bikes is Tucson's largest dealer in recumbent and adult trikes. Why recumbents? It's because your riding position is sitting down, legs in front, rather than upright like a saddle. Recumbent cycling puts less stress on the knee and the hip. Got arthritis? Aho Bikes has your wheels and tires, tubes, parts, helmets, bike gloves, service, and you provide the smile. Aho Bikes, 1301 East Aho, 294-1434. AhoBikes.com. We can't hold this fort much longer. Travis, we've got to keep that garrison wall from coming down. They're coming over the wall. Charge them. They may take the Alamo, but they'll never take away our freedom. If you don't want the walls of your engine to be breached by the forces of friction, get regular oil changes, brake fluid flushes, and scheduled maintenance on your car, truck, or SUV, foreign or domestic. Since 1994, we've protected your four-wheel citadel of freedom with men who had freedom in their souls and honor in their hearts at Perfection Auto Works. 323-8650. That's 323-8650 or perfectionautoworks.com Swap shop trains are coming rolling down that free market track Sunday mornings you can buy, sell, or trade anything lawful and moral on the swap shop I have a Nordic track treadmill for sale just like new and it has a place for your tablet because let's face it working on a treadmill can get a little bit boring yeah you know you feel like you're on a treadmill yeah 520-748 swap shop Sundays, 10 to 11 a.m., right before Liberty Watch. 
Tired of high prices? How about you set the price? Yes, that's right. You decide how much to pay. Auction Surplus Tucson has hundreds of items on auction right now where you set the price. Items like furniture, hardware, toys, bicycles, household goods, and so much more. Auction Surplus Tucson is an online auction where you set the price. It's easy. Just go to AuctionSurplusTucson.com. AuctionSurplusTucson.com where you set the price. Stars at night are big and bright, deep in the heart of Texas. The prairie sky is wide and high, deep in the heart of Texas. The sage in bloom is like perfume, deep in the heart of Texas. Reminds me of the one I love. In the heart of Texas. That song just does make you want to sing, doesn't it? <laughs> and welcome back to Liberty Watch on AM 1030 KVOI, Cortero, Tucson, the voice in the Perfection Auto Works studios. We have the joy and pleasure of having with us Daniel Miller, and he is, he's got a wonderful new book called Texit. And the subtitle again, Daniel, I'm, again, I don't have it open. I should. It's a why and how Texas will leave the union. Huh, interesting. And basically the cause, the underlying cause for it is that the the country is so far in debt and has become so overbearing that it, it, it is violating the original agreement under which Texas came into the union in 1845. And for that reason and several others, uh, you guys just want to go and be your own country, right? Yeah, but let me let me say this because I, I believe that it's important to understand that the support for Texas has not been merely a reaction to grievance. Mm-hmm. There is that sort of persistent myth that exists and, and granted it is the, the gateway that many people come to to be able to uh, try to come to grips with this you know this idea. Uh, but really and truly I think what sits at the heart of this is what has fueled these independence movements around the world uh, and has seen this flourishing and blossoming. And it is that fundamental right of self-government. At the end of the day, Texans believe that the best people to govern Texas are Texans. Now, given the behavior of the federal government and their seeming unwillingness to allow that to happen, obviously it begins to manifest as a reaction to grievance with the federal government. But at its heart, it's not something that is really reactionary to a negative. It's something that is really positive, forward-thinking, and aspirational. Uh, Texans are not, you know, we're, we're more and more no longer just shaking the fist at the federal government, and we're beginning to think about the future and dream and say, what if? What would we do to address these particular problems? Hmm. Good, good example. Good example of this is just when it gets down to the math. Uh, Texans overpay anywhere from 100 to 150 billion dollars every single year into the federal system. Okay, and as we here in Texas look at this and, and we struggle to find different ways to maintain our our fundamental principles of, of less government and lower taxation, stable regulatory structure, and things of that nature, 
but yet still accomplish the things that we want to accomplish here in Texas, we look at ourselves and say, how better could that money have been spent had it not been sent to Washington, D.C. for us to never see again? Well, you, you know, wouldn't need that's it. That's the type of thinking. Right. You wouldn't need an ATF to administer the 1934 Gun Control Act. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, look at it. I mean, the, the, the bureaucracy is so massive. You know, you mentioned Chicago earlier. Right. Um, and, you know, when Texans have to go to the polls to vote on, a say, a property tax increase or a school, a school bond election or, you know, uh, you know any type of increase in, in fees or services for things that really matter to us in, in, on a day-to-day basis, uh, you know, we we look at that hundred to one hundred fifty billion dollars that's sent to Washington D.C., and then we see the federal government spending that on. You know, one of the examples I use in the book is, you know, to fund a scientific study to figure out how they're going to get Chinese prostitutes to drink less alcohol. I mean, you know, when little Johnny needs textbooks, the the alcohol consumption of Chinese prostitutes has a very low priority for Texans. You know, and that's that's the kind of. of thing I don't know. There might be some. In, there, there might be some interests in some neighborhoods. <laughs> uh, I am. Uh, that is an official no comment, sir. <laughs> Folks, if you're just tuning in late, late, you're listening to Liberty Watch. With uh, this is uh, we're interviewing Daniel Miller. He's the president of the Texas Nationalist Movement. Has been an outspoken advocate for Texas independence since 1996. As the head of one of the largest and most influential political organizations in Texas, Miller has uh, extensively researched and engaged the issue of self determination, not just for Texas, but as part of a growing global trend. And I want to reiterate, we're not talking here about revolution. You're talking about a peaceful and lawful process by which the citizens of Texas would decide whether or not to regain their, their status as a republic, which they were before they were for nine years before they were a state in the state of, uh, in the country of the United States. You're talking about a peaceful process, right? Right, right. Absolutely. Look, the, the one thing that, that has been a commonality uh, throughout the world in this is that these successful drives for self-governance are done in, uh, you know, answering it as a political question, not a military question, uh, not a question of uh, revolution uh, or violent overthrow or anything right. like that. I mean, we, we talked about the example of Sudan a moment ago and how it was a, really an answer to conflict. Uh, you know, the conflict happened. But conflict didn't spur this idea that the two countries could live peaceably side by side. It only came after 30 years of bloodshed. But, you know, you, you go into and you, you look at, uh, you know, like the Scottish referendum or you look at Brexit or uh, even to a certain degree what's happening in Catalonia, although we could drill down on the Spanish right. government's ridiculous response to it. And, and you see that over the last, you know, 40-plus years, the vast majority of, of these um, these reclamations of self-government, these exits from supranational unions or federations, whatever they are, uh, has come uh, either peacefully or has come as a result of conflict to institute a peace and a recognition that people really just want to, at the end of the day, govern themselves. All right, we've got Greg that wants to talk to you. Greg, you're live on Liberty Watch with Daniel Miller of the book Texit. Go ahead. Hey, thanks. Uh, 
I guess a couple of questions. The $150 billion you're talking about, is that a net loss to Texas regarding what goes back in federally? Right. Here's here's the math that was arrived at. Um, in the study that Who's was done. Who did the math is another question. Go ahead. Well, there, there's actually been several studies, but at one point uh, in the last one that was done, we had to commission it as the T&M. We had to commission it. Essentially, we had to go out, we had to go fact-find, we had to go grab all the data. And so when you look at every dollar that is spent uh, in Texas by the federal government, and that's across all, okay, that's whether it's, um, you know, whether it's... Greg, hang on. Including defense spending. Yeah, including... Yeah, okay. All right, go ahead. Yeah. Right, and so then you look at at the total taxation that's taken out of Texas that goes to the federal side. Uh, what you find is anywhere year after year, and it varies. Uh, on average, over the last five years uh, before the study, it was about 103 billion. But you know, when you stretch it out to 10 to 15 years, you get a, a varying range of about 100 billion to 150 billion. I think even one year uh, was 160 billion. So. For us, that is essentially the effect of a Hurricane Harvey type event hitting Texas every nine months. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. Did that answer your question, yeah. Greg? No, not really. I mean, it's sort of, I, I find it hard to believe that Texas is losing that much of the whole net. And what would Texas do for an army when you go independent? That's a good question. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, two points. Uh, you, you may find it hard to believe, but the math doesn't lie. And those, that's straight from government sources. So, I got, you know, uh, I think you know, it's, 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 the math guys that can spin anything. All right, Greg, let him answer your question about the army. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> so let's get down to, let's get down to national defense. Uh, in a, in a yeah. post independence Texas, one of the things to bear in mind is that Texas already essentially has its own military. Outside of the National Guard, Texas has what's called the Texas State Guard. Uh, we've advocated for many years now that it should be fully militarized, and to a certain extent it is militarized because they've been conducting uh, border security operations for about the last five to six years. So Texas already has one, but when you look at, and one of the things I talk about in the book is that if you look at military and defense spending as a function of GDP, which is sort of the internationally accepted way, uh, one of the things that Texas would have to do to essentially have the fifth most well-funded military. Go ahead. Well-funded military. Yeah, to have the fifth most well-funded military in the world, uh, we would only have to hit the NATO targets of 2% of GDP to do that. So, um, you know, that's, that really is sort of the 2% standard, and, and that gives us about the fifth roughly the fifth most well-funded national defense in the world. So I, I, I think we're going to be all right. I suspect that most Texans need, o- need only go to, their, go to their safe and remove a couple of AR-15s <laughs> to hit that goal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think the last stat that I saw was that there's an average of uh, eight uh, guns for every man, woman, and child here in Texas. So I think you probably think the forgot to. Is, the only lament is, go ahead. Oh, I think the only lament is we just don't have enough uh, hands to hold them all at one time. Well, you might actually, the statistic might work out better if you average dogs in as well. (laughs) Well, just don't step on the front porch and you'll be okay. Yeah, they're fine. All right. And uh, George, you're live. Uh, Whoops, let's do that one more time with feeling. George, you're live on Liberty Watch with, with Daniel Miller. Your comment or question. Yeah, I think that 
that uh, Texas just wants to control our borders uh, with respect to uh, people fleeing California for Texas. Yeah, they need a wall on the West. Texas to be like California. Well, it, there's no doubt that we're dealing with somewhat of a refugee crisis here, <laughs> but, but, but a very different one than the other places. But, but you know, here's here's really and truly, I think what's interesting about that is, you know, obviously there is a little bit of trepidation uh, about a lot of the, the influx of, of folks that are moving into Texas. But here's what what we found out, and this is anecdotal. I, I don't know that there have been any there's been any significant polling or, or studies on this. Uh, but what, what we're finding is uh, that a lot of those people that are fleeing out are essentially, when I say they're political refugees, I mean, that's not a stretch. No, it's not. Uh, there, there are a lot of those folks that are really chafing at the political and economic shifts that have happened in their respective states. And they're attracted to Texas because of our, you know, our low government, low regulation, low tax philosophy. So, you know, we, we've got some, some issues that we have to contend with, you know, where in some areas they want to come in and uh, they want to try to institute local regulations that are sort of like what they left. Uh, but, that, you know, I don't, I don't see any, any fear of that. It, at the core of it, a lot of those people are coming here for the very same reasons uh, that people came to Texas back in the 1830s, and that is they want uh, a fresh start and they want to be able to punch their own ticket and call their own destiny. Last time I was in Texas, near Troy, I saw a bumper sticker that said, let's not Californicate Texas. <laughs> that is not uncommon. Yeah, jo- uh, you know, it, when a California barbecue company announced that they were going to start sh- uh, drop shipping barbecue into Texas, I mean, even the governor, the lieutenant governor, uh, Senator Ted Cruz, I mean, they, they all went ballistic. Of course, we all laughed about the fact that California barbecue might be sent here. It's like, who's going to order it? That's... <laughs> That's akin to, to a declaration of war. It, it you know, it, it had that that vibe to it. Yeah, but, it did. You know, yeah, look, we're, it, it, we're tough know. enough. I, I'm sure our barbecue's going to stand up. I'm sure it will. I'm sure. I'm sure. Wait a minute. I've uh, I've got a caller with a comment on that right now. Okay, that that that's a definitive <laughs> statement. George, did you have a follow up to that? No, I was just going to say that California's managed to pollute uh, Colorado, Nevada, and uh, Oregon. It's horrible. I tell you, I'm I'm in favor of that border wall for Arizona on the west. Exactly. All right. You have a good day, and we're up at that uh, three-quarters of the hour. Can you believe three-quarters of the hour is gone already, Daniel? Uh, it's, a, it's a weighty topic, and it does take some time. It does, it does. All right, stand by on AM 1030. KVOI, Cortero, Tucson, the voice in the Perfection Auto Works studios with Daniel Miller of the book Texit. And the subtitle of which I will get to in a second is How and Why the, uh, State Texas Should Leave the Union. And we'll be right back. And uh, if you want to call in, 520-790-2040. Craig Culver of Culver's with his local butcher. The butter burger is made of just three cuts of fresh Midwest beef. So we got the sirloin, the chuck, and the plate. No fillers, that's it. All prize cuts, all well marbled for richness and flavor. We sear them on the grill, and that seals in the juices of the burger. And I want to get a little melt on that cheese. Doesn't get any better than that. And that's a Culver's Butter Burger. Welcome to Delicious. Culver's on Kino, just north of I-10. Take the Kino North Exit. 
Have you ever missed a special event or been reluctant to go out in public because you're embarrassed of your teeth or smile? My name is Dr. Brian Martin, and my team at Artistic Dentistry specialize in bringing back your smile. We can restore your teeth so you're proud to smile in pictures again. Come schedule a free consultation in CAT scan today over a $700 value. 745-0030. Visit us at ArtisticDentistryAZ.com. We offer sedation dentistry, implants, and general care and cleaning of your teeth. ArtisticDentistryAZ.com. My name is Sean Hoffline, your favorite peace-loving hippie with a pit bull, a ferret, and a love of life, liberty, and faith like few you've ever heard before. It's Blue Collar Radio from the heart. I will be live with you at 1 p.m. right here in the Perfection Auto Works studios at 1030 KVOI every single Sunday after America Armed and Free. Pax Domini Tecum, thank you in advance for your valuable time. I'm Oliver North, and like you, I'm listening to Liberty Watch with Charles Heller, Tucson, Arizona. Tired of high prices? How about you set the price? Yes, that's right. You decide how much to pay. Auction Surplus Tucson has hundreds of items on auction right now where you set the price. Items like furniture, hardware, toys, bicycles, household goods, and so much more. Auction Surplus Tucson is an online auction where you set the price. It's easy. Just go to AuctionSurplusTucson.com. AuctionSurplusTucson.com where you set the price. It has never been government's job in this country to lead the people. It has always been the people's job to lead the government. It's a matter of biological fact, and that is your congressman does not have a spine. You must lend him your spine. We are a self-governing country. Your responsibility as a citizen is not limited to walking into a voting booth every few years and pulling a lever. Liberty Watch and America Armed and Free, Sundays right after the swap shop. Grand is flowing and the starry skies are bright. She walks along the river in the quiet summer night. She thinks if I remember when we parted long ago, I promise to come back again and not to leave her so. She's the sweetest rose of color this soldier ever knew. Her eyes are bright as diamonds, they sparkle like the dew. You may talk about your dearest May and sang of Rosalie. But the yellow rose of Texas beats the bells of Tennessee. Little bit of competition in the romantic field there. For and let's see, we have Daniel Miller with us of the book uh, uh, Texas: How and Why the Texas Will Leave Will Leave the Union. Two lines ringing, and Mark, hang on, and caller, hang on, and. Mark, you're live on Liberty Watch with Daniel Miller. Your quick question or comment. Yes, uh, it's about a parallel uh, lesson of a huge country, huge old kingdom in Central Europe that was its own kingdom existing, coexisting with all the other nations around it for a couple thousand years until the 1860s when uh, Otto von Bismarck suckered Bavaria into joining the uh, Prussian Empire. And... They have anyway, so they've been, you know, trying to leave or bikes it them their way out. You know, Bavarian exit their way out, and uh, it almost was happening here recently, but it didn't go through. And so you could look at that country that has now been infiltrated by Prussians who don't want to leave the um, what you would call the Prussian Empire, the German uh, democracy, and uh, so 
there's an example there of what will happen if too many outsiders come into Texas. It will never be able to uh, pull off a, a Texas. Yeah, they'll never have a Bavarian cream revolution. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway. Daniel? Dan- let Daniel answer. We're short on time. Okay. Daniel? Yeah, I mean, look, he, there is a clock ticking on this. I actually talk about it in the book. Um, you know, things, it is a human folly to believe that tomorrow will be exactly the same as today uh, or to impute that today is exactly the same as yesterday. And so there are changes that are happening right now. Uh, we're not just only experiencing it here in Texas. Uh, but it's it's happening in every state uh, throughout the union where these mass migration patterns are, are taking place, uh, and it I mean it's one of the reasons I, I think that you see so much of this Euroscepticism. You know, a lot of the, the fueling for Euroscepticism is how mass migration and restricted migration is changing uh, the political character of these these uh, countries, these nation states. So. You know, look, I, I, I make my warning in the book very clear to Texans, and anyone else can take it as they want, but there is a clock ticking. Uh, whether it's whether it's this change of political character or whether it's the uh, increasing growth of the federal government that threatens to subsume uh, our, individual, our individuality as Texans, uh, we have to take it at its word. I mean, it's, it's sort of a now or never kind of situation. I, I don't believe we can wait a generation. You know, I've heard, Daniel, that there are some Texans who pronounce Park Pac. <laughs> those, those are movies. They're, they're rookies. The rookies, yeah. Mark, a f- fast follow-up? Uh, yeah. So uh, just as an idea that the Bavarians detest the um, entire Prussian domination that they've been under since uh, for quite a while now mm-hmm. and the uh, loss of their territories and so, you know, they're they're under the same kind of oh, laws and you know that Texas is objecting to, and they just they they can't get out of it. They have these votes every year or two, and they can't get out of. Got it. German Republic. Got it. All right, take your answer on the air, Daniel. Is that something to respond to, or should we move on to the next call? Yeah, I mean, just just really quickly. I mean, it's it really is one of, as I said, one of the underpinnings of of Euroscepticism. Uh, you are seeing political winds of change sweep across Europe right now, and if anyone thought that it it ended at Brexit, they are sadly mistaken. All right, back to the phones and Greg, you're live on Liberty Watch with Daniel Miller of the book Texit: How and Why, or Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union. Go ahead. Two of my two of my favorite Texans would be the gentleman in Crawford, uh, President Bush, and Ron White. And I know you're probably familiar with both, Mr. Miller. Yeah, I am. Well, Ron White says in Texas we have no problem with somebody who clearly killed a family. Uh, he doesn't stay long on death row. He gets the fast lane uh, to execution. And and Bush showed such class when Clinton was in office uh, and didn't comment. You know, one way or the other. In fact, they're friends to this day, whereas this guy, uh, Obama, right away when Trump did a good thing with, with nixing this deal with Iran, what happens? Obama's on Facebook. It's uh, There's a big difference there. So congratulations on those two guys. Mm-hmm. Daniel? Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really had nothing to do with it, but uh, thank you. <laughs> Talk, t- did that do it for you, Greg? Yeah. 
All right. I want to. I want you to talk for a moment about what happened within the Texas Republican Party, vis-a-vis putting the the Texit on the ballot, because there's some. It's an interesting story in and of itself. Yeah, it's. Uh, I go into it in in some detail, but obviously there's there's way more. Uh, yeah. But here's here's the long and the short of it. Um, here in Texas, we don't have. Uh, citizen initiative um, or referendum for those initiatives, okay? So we, we don't have that. However, uh, we do sort of have it in one very limited case, and that's related to um, uh, essentially uh, political party um, primary elections. So you can have a citizen-initiated referendum that will put a question on a party's primary ballot, but not one on a general ballot that would be binding. <clears throat> so... You know, we had looked at the poll numbers back in uh, 2014 during the time of the Scottish referendum. Uh, the When the issue was polled here in Texas, you had 54% of Republicans in favor of Texas leaving the union. You had about half of independent voters, and you had uh, even 35% of Democrats. Uh, but the way the electorate votes here, I mean, it's a Republican-dominated state uh, by large margins, super majorities in both houses, governor, you know, every major statewide elected office is Republican. So we we initiated a campaign to go out and essentially get this issue on the Republican primary ballot uh, just to sort of force the issue, right, to, to make the conversation have some gravitas. Mm-hmm. And so we, we got through that process, and, of course, the, the, the petitioning process for a political party's primary ballot is just, I mean, it's Byzantine at best. It's It's difficult. It's very high hurdle. Uh, so we, we did the petition, but we also ran a route through the state's Republican Executive Committee. And for, for folks who don't understand, we're, the Republican Party of Texas is the single largest political party we're down in to the, the last, United States. We're down to the last 90 seconds. Oh, wow. So we forced this issue at the convention. It was hotly debated. And uh, were it not for just a, a horrible political politically motivated call from the chair, uh, there would have been a call on the Republican Party platform here in Texas to uh, to have a vote on independence. So we're you know we're we're extraordinarily close to having this vote and to seeing this vote happen. Huh. So, but there was some chicanery with the with the vote, and uh, and it it won it passed, and then and the uh, the speaker of the party said the nays have it. He actually called it deliberately wrong. Did he not? He did. Uh, the video the video was damning. Uh, to the point that, I mean, they waited until just a, a couple of months ago to actually release the video from the convention two years ago. So, <laughs> yeah, but, but look, when you're in the largest, at literally the largest political convention in the world, and that's not a lie, I mean, it's, and to watch half of the, over half of the delegates stand up in support, not just of, of Texans having a vote on the issue, but of Texans leaving and watching this debate play out in front of a mainstream media that seemed just absolutely mortified that they were watching it, uh, that that in and of itself was just priceless. <laughs> yeah. All right, stand by. We're up uh, near the top of the hour here. We're going to take our top of the hour break, and we'll come back on the other side and, and finish up with Daniel Miller on, on the book Texas, Why and How Texas Will Leave the Union. And it's uh, it's pretty interesting. It's not... It's not fiery rhetoric at all. It's very. It's it's actually very sedate. I I was surprised at the at the sedate and the non sedate and non seditious nature of it. So stand by at uh, AM ten thirty KVOI Cortero Tucson, the voice for America, armed and free. 
Celebrate this 4th of July with the listeners of KVOI at the University Park Marriott for a dramatic reading of the Declaration of Independence and a showing of the 1973 classic movie Man Without a Country with Cliff Robertson. Only five bucks at the door, great food available, and a charity raffle for a 32 muzzle loader. That's this 4th of July at the University Park Marriott, 880 East 2nd Street. Doors open at 10, movie at noon. Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Dateline Tucson, updated May 6, 2018. Tucson police are investigating a shooting that happened inside the Metro PCS store at 29th and Craycroft last week. Sergeant Dugan with TPD says the male suspect walked into the store on Sunday and immediately pulled a mask over his face. When the suspect pulled out his handgun, a customer did same and an exchange of shots occurred, during which many things were hit but not people. Some of the windows in the Metro PCS store were shot out during the gunfire and the bad guy left empty-handed. The TPD robbery team is investigating. Anyone with information is asked to call 911 or 88 Crime and consider donating a box of ammo to the cause. This has been the DGU Files. The story you have just heard was true. I, Harry S. Truman, President of the United States, dedicate this day of Sunday to America, armed and free. That's what a ship is, you know. It's not just a keel and a hole and a deck and sails that the ship needs. But what a ship is, really is, is freedom. Now, bring me that horizon. I am a minute man. I am the guardian of America. Who is the guardian of America, armed and free? Welcome to America, Armed and Free, a program dedicated to preserving your God-granted, constitutionally guaranteed individual right to keep and bear arms in defense of self or state, understanding that the citizens are the militia. This program is produced by Charles Heller and is not endorsed by anyone who isn't pro-choice on freedom. We are the guardians of America, armed and free. Indeed, we are the guardians of America, armed and free. We're on with Daniel Miller. Daniel is a sixth-generation Texan born and raised in northeast Texas and currently resides in southeast Texas with his wife. And uh, both are avid Texas music fans, and he and his wife operate Radio Free Texas, one of the first online outlets for independent music created in Texas. Daniel, if we want to listen to that, RadioFreeTexas.com? Uh, yes, RadioFreeTexas.com will take you right there. And briefly, give us like the, your elevator speech about your business. <laughs> Well, since 2005, uh, as as it was uh, started as a hobby, we were both super avid Texas music fans, you know, homegrown music, uh, and there were no outlets uh, to, to listen to it. So merely as a hobby, we fired up an Internet radio station, so at the very minimum we could listen to this music wherever we had an Internet connection. 
Uh, from there, it's grown to become one of the largest Texas music-centered communities around. I mean, we've, we've grown from a simple Internet radio station to uh, a full-on media outlet that handles all aspects of Texas music, whether it's uh, events, uh, concerts, festivals, uh, plus music. I mean, we, we deal with all of it. So uh, we, still, we still love Texas music. It's, a, I think, a, a lot of my love for uh, Texas and Texas independence and Texas nationalism uh, fuels that, that love for Texas music. So, hmm. Who produces? Uh, that's what Radio Free Texas is. Hmm. Who produces your commercials? Hmm. Uh, we have uh, various people who does vo- who do voiceovers. I mean, are, are, you, are you applying? Are you looking to do some voiceovers? I do voiceover work, and if you've heard the commercials on this on this program, you've heard examples of my work, and you and I will talk off the air. Hmm, never even That's occurred, great. never doing discovery on the witness stand. It never even occurred to me to talk to you about that. Okay, back, back to the topic, uh, back to the topic of the book, which is Texit, and the subtitle is, now I have it open in front of me, the, the uh, why and how Texas will leave the union. Daniel Miller, is, uh, is Texit equivalent to secession? You know, I think in the minds of of a lot of people, it is the same thing. But in the much the same way that that people get the terms nation, state, and country conflated, uh, I think there is a distinction here to be made. Um, one of the one of the quotes that that I put in the book is from Dr. Josette Baer, uh, who is a you know she's a, a preeminent thought leader uh, in academia about these types of issues. And, and one of the things that Josette Baer talks about is, is why these two issues should not be the same, uh, in the sense of, of dealing with them from the standpoint of international law, international norms, uh, seeing that in her mind and sort of in that prevailing international law thought process, that secession is really speaking of, uh, you know, the, the leaving of a particular part or region that is within, uh, if you want to call it a nation state or within a state, uh, whereas things like the, the Quebec independence movement or Brexit or Texit uh, should be considered really the cancellation of membership within a union. So it, it takes Texit and essentially equates it not with what happened in North and South Sudan, but more what would happen if, say, any of the signatories of the United Nations Treaty said we don't want to be a part of it anymore. Well, we call that a hallelujah. We call that a hallelujah moment. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but the but the thing about it is, if you look at it from the point of view of forming a country, the states agree that the, the, the Constitution is a compact. Nowhere in the Constitution is there a clause or even a word that says that a state can't leave. Nowhere in federal law is there any federal law which says that a state cannot leave the union. There's one Supreme Court court decision, I think it's Texas versus White, but it's based in zero. There's no case law, there's no there's no positive law anywhere that Texas versus White is based upon. Yeah, it's uh, Texas versus White is a joke. Uh, yeah. And I and I say that look in, in the most glowing of terms. <laughs> I mean, that is that is Texas versus White described at its best. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- there are literally so many things wrong with Texas versus White, and 
that I could write an entire book just specifically you should. on you know, destroying Texas v. White. You but, should. But here's what it boils down to. Um, you know, you hit on, on all of the, the issues that opponents of Texas seem to want to ignore. The absence of federal law, the absence of, of any prohibition in the Constitution, when the Constitution explicitly spells out the things that states are forbidden from doing. Right, so right. you would think that if if the the framers and the founders had wanted a prohibition on states leaving the union, it would have been included in that list. You would think, uh, not there. But instead, you know these these opponents they fall back on this rickety Texas versus White, where Salmon P. Chase uh, makes these, I mean, these logical leaps that that I mean, you could go talk to a middle school civics student. And make this argument, and they would look at you like you had a, th- a third eye. Um, you know, where, where he talks about how the United States Constitution is not a document unto itself, but it's merely an amending instrument of the Articles of Confederation. He, he said, he made the assertion that we essentially still live under the Articles of Confederation. Uh, you know, and then he talks about this idea that when it talks about perpetual union in the Articles of Confederation, well, in the preamble, the, the fact is is that when it talks about a more perfect union, well, that's the more perfect union that it's talking about. It's trying to, it's trying to per, somehow perfect the perpetual nature of it. And, you know, and then you go, so anyway, these, these Texas versus white uh, apologists, the, the people who love this, you know, they are always the ones uh, who, who love to fall back on, you know, they despise judicial activism. They despise legislating from the bench. Until it rules in their favor. Uh, until it rules in their favor. Exactly. You know, they go back to Texas v. White. And then, you know, so then they, the, I think the most heinous part of this is for those people, the the calendar stopped, right? The earth stopped spinning. No one aged. I mean, it's still sort of the 1860s for those people because they forget that there have been, you know, there, there have been court decisions subsequent to that that absolutely tear at the foundation of Sam and P. Chase's assumption, like Jefferson versus Massachusetts, which said that you can't get any substantial law from the preamble. The preamble is just decoration, you know? So what that does is that completely undercuts one of the foundational parts of Chase's uh, argument where he says that the uh, more perfect union idea or concept is what prevents a state from leaving the union. But there's, there's just so much more. Uh, there has been no overturn, you know, like a, a blanket overturn of Texas v. White, because it's gone largely ignored. Right. But what you find is subsequent Supreme Court decisions have piece by piece completely dismantled Texas v. White. Right. So uh, as I told this one reporter the other day, you know, who swears up and down that this will end in litigation in front of a court, I said, hey, we'll take that fight any day of the week. Sure. Well, the way the court's currently composed, it's interesting to see what might happen with it. But the Tenth Amendment says, quote, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution, nor prohibited by the uh, uh, prohibited it, prohibited by it to the states are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. And that specifically says that because there's nothing in the Constitution about a state leaving it, that that power is reserved to the state. I mean, that could not be more clear. And yet there are people who, like some religious dogma, say, you cannot have you cannot have a state leave the union and preserve the union. And it's like, 
this religious mantra that's being that mindless religious mantra that's recited that that re, uh, recited that doesn't have any basis in fact or in law well look i'm going to tell you if if the union is so fragile that the removal of one state will cause the whole thing to collapse then this is a conversation that we should be having already mm-hmm. about what yeah. the problem is and, and how systemic it is you know the, the opposition loves to treat the United States as, you know, they talk out of one side of their mouth, and they talk about how it, it is it's so strong, it is so powerful, it is so perpetual. But then, on the other hand, they look at it like a giant Jenga game that if you pull one piece out, the whole tower will collapse. Well, you know, there so, is... You know, they, there is a model for a number less than fifty of a viable country. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. I believe that model number is thirteen. Uh, it's, it's been proven that it could happen before, you know. Right. It, yeah. Again, it's just one of the ridiculous assertions made by the opposition. You know that if Texas leaves, it's somehow overthrowing the government or it will destroy the union. And look, we're, we're not saying that other states should leave the union. Look, if, if 49 is, if 50 is cool, 49 is even better, right? So, yeah. you know, there, and there's nothing saying that Texas outside of the union won't have great relations with the United States, just under more acceptable terms. I know? suspect strongly uh, that if Texas were to leave, Puerto Rico would come in. Well, that way it'd save them a lot of money on changing the flag, I guess. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, they wouldn't have to scratch off a star. <laughs> Does Texas ever fly a flag, a Texas flag larger than a U.S. flag anywhere that you know of? Yeah, I see it a lot. I mean, <laughs> look, you, Texas is one of those places where you drive around and you are likely to see more Texas flags than American flags. And sometimes you see uh, some well-meaning student at a high school who goes out and raises the flag at the flagpole at the high school will flip them. I mean, that happens. You mean upside uh, down? Texas flag on top. Oh, no, you mean put the, the Texas flag on top? top. I, I suspect strongly yeah. that that's not a mistake. But you talk for a minute about, because you, you, you mentioned this in the book, it's poignant, where you talk about people who will do the Pledge of Allegiance and then do the Pledge to Texas. And, and, and about, or people who wear really patriotic, you know, red, white, and blue uh, flag, T-shirt, and then they're promoting Texas. Talk about the dichotomy between that, if you would. Yeah, it's it's difficult, you know. As someone who's been doing this for 22 years, it, it's you know Texas and the United States are already separate in my in my mind. Uh, but there are a lot of folks that are sort of in that that in between stage, right, where they understand that this is the direction that Texas should go, uh, but still sort of cling on to the the trappings of of being part of the United States and. Look, I don't fault them for that. I mean, I included the anecdote about that in in the book, and I don't fault them for that because ultimately what those people are doing is is they're clinging on to those trappings because they really cling on to the principles. You know, these folks that are, you know, they they view when they look at America and they look at the stars and stripes and they look at all the various trappings, they're, they're not seeing the political and economic union. They're seeing that opportunity they're seeing the the principles of liberty and and freedom they're still hanging on to those things but you know we're we're seeing more of a shift you know as as i included the polling data in there about uh whether people consider themselves texans first or or americans first i mean we're seeing a a very hard shift 
into folks that are definitely in their hearts placing the Texas flag above any other. Hmm. So, but that is more a matter of that is more a matter of emotion than law, I suspect. You know, if you look at the people who who seceded from the union between 19, uh, 19, 1861 and 1865 and were slowly reeled back in, it, those people, if you look at what Robert E. Lee did, he was offered command of the Northern Army at the beginning of the war, and he said, no, I'm going to go fight for my state. I mean, he had more loyalty to his state, but that was that was at a time when the states were more considered were they were more sovereign then than they than they are today today we look at it we have a tendency as a country to look at it more as a whole country than as a loyalty to a state so is that not an emotional reaction that you're just describing yeah i mean i, I do believe it's an emotional reaction but i also think that the trends are, are pointing uh, away from that consolidation you know i talked about um when when reagan was when he would talk about the United States, he would refer to them as these United States, you know, again, mm -hmm. reinstituting the plural that had been virtually dead for 120 years, you know, by the time he was bringing that back into the public consciousness. So, uh, you know, it's a, it, it is, we're beginning to see this trend. And, and while it may be shocking to some people here, it's not unlike the beginning of those trends and how they started to manifest in places around the world where where there was this renewed sense of, of national pride, national identity uh, outside of this supranational union. You know, I mean, let, let us not forget that uh, the Ukraine was once a wholly inseparable part of the Soviet, Soviet Union. union right. and, and, yet, and yet since the Soviet Union has collapsed, the Ukrainians have been some of the most ardent uh, nationalists for their country that you can find. So, you know, it, it, it is the indications of a trend, and I think we're going to start seeing it manifest more and more, not just here in Texas, but other states as well. Daniel Miller, in what way would the federal problems of overspending and not guarding the border and the myriad of other things that the country is not doing that it has an obligation to do, in what way would that salt would would that solve the problem for Texas by being an independent nation? How would that resolve the issues for Texas? Well, let's look at it from a, a very practical standpoint. Uh, when all the money that is being sent to Washington, D.C. is sent there, I mean, I, I think you can make an argument that aside from the overpayment, that money is spent, and it, it does go to things, right, to military, border security, I mean, all those different things. Um, but one of the big benefits from a practical standpoint of, of Texas being a self-governing independent nation state is that all of those resources that are currently being poured in at the state level and which would be formerly to the federal level, once that all begins to accumulate and stay here, uh, a lot of very interesting things happen. Um, Number one is Texans begin to allocate their resources according to what priorities we set, not the priorities set by the federal government. Uh, and one of the things that we have seen time and time again here in Texas is, is that we're very efficient with the spending money, far more efficient than the federal government. Okay, uh, we're, we're very efficient at the, the allocation of those resources. So. You know, right off the bat, one of the things that you'll probably see is an immediate tax relief for the folks here in Texas because of that efficiency. Uh, 
but the other thing that you'll see is a lot of the issues that really should be addressed that Texans feel very strongly about, like uh, immigration and the border, uh, whether it be some of the challenges we're dealing with in, in public education right now. Uh, you know, all of a sudden now, all of those things are solved according to the priorities that we set, but now with the availability of all of the resources that we have here. So, uh, you know, I, I extrapolate some of those things in the book. You know, uh, as, I, as I say time and time again, no one has a crystal ball and no one can predict with 100% certainty how Texans will deal with those issues. But I think given the, the policy stances that we've had over the years, I think we can make some really good, solid, educated guesses with a high degree of probability for each. All right, stand by on AM 1030. Can you hang with us after this uh, segment, or do you have to go? Sure, uh, one more. And one more, and it'll be a short segment, too. All right, AM 1030, KVOI, Cortero, Tucson, the voice in the Perfection Auto Works studios at KVOI with uh, Daniel Miller of the book Texit how and why or why and how texas will leave the union and fascinating conversation calling now at 520-790-2040 if you want to get on Stop into Frontier Guns at 3156 East Grant Road and see an early model Colt double action in 4440 Double action means that the trigger both turns the cylinder and releases the hammer, so the gun need not be cocked manually for each shot. Breakthrough technology in 1878. If you'd like to own modern marvels of over a century ago, visit Frontier Guns at 3156 East Grant Road, 325-9880. Thank you for stressing Article 2, Section 2 of the Arizona Constitution. Political power comes from the people, and government gets its power from the consent of the governed. Purpose is to protect individual rights. Thank you for asking people running for elective office to know what this means. Liberty Watch, so that government remains servant, not master. Sundays, 11 a.m. to 1 p.m., right after Swap Shop. I'm Oliver North, and like you, I'm listening on America Armed and Free with Charles Heller. Civilian disarmament is an essential precedent for every dictator who engages in mass murder. PDQ Records is back at its original location on Dodge, just south of Grant, with over 600,000 vinyl records and CDs. Choose from classical, jazz, rock, comedy, and every genre of record that ever was. PDQ Records is buying. Bring in your vinyl records in great shape, especially collectible ones, and PDQ will buy them too. Open Wednesday through Sunday, 12 noon to 6 p.m., 881-2681 or pdqrecords.com. Hammer Time! Hammer Time is a program dedicated to helping you have a healthier, more comfortable, livable house, living space, and workspace. Get your questions answered about remodeling, construction, paint, electrical, plumbing, air conditioning, property rental, and management, and anything that gives you a better house, building, work, or play space. It's Hammer Time. Sundays 2 to 3. Hammer Time! Texas, our Texas, oh, hail the mighty state. Texas, our Texas. 
And discussing Texas with us is Daniel Miller. Thank you. I did not know of that song until you mentioned it in your book, uh, Texit, Texit, how, how, why and how Texas will leave the Union. So that was fun. I had to, I had to stand up while you played it. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, your new national anthem. Uh, in in here, although uh, I, I, I sort of think it should be Willie Nelson singing, but I, I may I may digress. Section two, Article two, sec, Article one, Section two, Texas Constitution, inherent political power, Repub, Republican form of government. All political power is inherent in the people, and all free governments are founded on their authority and instituted for their benefit. The faith of the people of the te- of Texas stands pledged to the preservation of a Republican form of government, and subject to this limitation only. They have all. They have at all times the inalienable right to alter, reform, or abolish their government in such manner as they may think expedient. Is there anything unclear about that as to the authority of Texans to do politically as they corporately decide to do? Uh, you know, you go back to the Republic of Texas Constitution of 1836, mm-hmm. and what you find is in every single iteration of a constitution that we have had here in Texas, you will find those words sometimes modified a little bit here and there, right. but the essential spirit and, and the, the phrasing of, of those words and that principle. Uh, I think there should be no doubt in the minds of, of anyone out there how much Texans revere the right of self-government and self-determination and who it resides with. And that Article One, Section 2 means in the context of Texas that this is a, deci- a decision solely for the people of Texas. Right. Uh, no other state, no other people get a say in the matter. It is entirely up to the people of Texas to determine our political destiny. Here's another thing, Daniel. In order for a state to be admitted to the Union, its constitution cannot be repugnant to the federal constitution. In other words, that constitution for Texas to join with it had to have been approved by the United States Congress. It wasn't like the Congress didn't know that this was in there. It, it, It wasn't like this was a secret. This is not a stealth provision. This is something that was that what they say in the law, open and notorious. Why is it that some folks want to bury this? It's amazing to me, you know, but you have to think about it. In 1845, when Texas entered the Union, this concept was not unusual. I mean, it was the understanding of the day uh, when the state of New York included a provision in their constitution that specifically and explicitly claimed the right to leave the Union and assume its sovereign powers when it so chose, uh, you know, that no one batted an eye. So did did Massachusetts, but they have, practically speaking, amended it out of their Constitution. Right. And then you see when Nevada entered into the Union, they included a constitutional prohibition against Nevada leaving. But again, that opens up another argument. If a state is required to constitutionally prohibit itself from leaving the union, does there exist a federal prohibition of such? And, and again, I think the answer to that is, is no. But, look, what, what we're getting at here is this idea somehow that this is about, you know, this is about the, the law, that it's judicial, I think 
negates the fact that at its fundamental level, it is a principle that was enumerated by Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence by many of the thinkers before mm-hmm. Thomas Jefferson, and it was understood by the people uh, you know, that, that came after Jefferson. It is this fundamental right of self-government. I mean, right. look, governs governed by consent of the governed. I mean, that is how it works. And right. At the moment, uh, the people of a state withdraw their consent to be a member of this supranational political and economic union, then it's done. You know, and and no one else has a say in the matter. If you read Federalist Number Nine, um, Hamilton talks about how if you don't have unity in in especially in issues, he talked about slavery. He said if if you come to great disunity over the topic, what'll happen is states will leave the union. He out and out said it in Federalist Number Nine, and he talked about ways that the government needed to act to make sure and hold the union together. Otherwise, otherwise, I believe his term is otherwise it will fly apart. So the people who helped found the country understood that a state had the authority to leave, and I, I just, I, it's un- incomprehensible to me that people could be that just unconscious of of the ability of a state to do that it just it, it it's this religious fervor that people have as opposed to reason and it's you know and it's on both the left and the right as well i mean it's, this is not a republican democrat thing we're, we're down to the bottom of the hour and this is all the time you agreed to stay for so are there any websites is there any way is there anything you'd like to leave this audience with on how they can get the book how they can where they can look at more things from from you and, and your your business and such Sure. Uh, look, I, I would encourage anyone, whether they agree with states leaving the union or not, I, I think it's a book that needs to be read. Uh, and it's available right now on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all major book retailers. Uh, the book will officially drop on May the 22nd, and uh, people can find out more information about the book at defiancepress.com, or they can find out more about my work with the Texas Nationalist Movement at texasnationalist.com. And this has nothing at all to do with race or uh, or or creed or anything like that, right? It's strictly to do with people expressing. I already know the answer, but I want you to clarify that. Yeah, look, anyone who knows Texans uh, should understand how diverse of a people we are. And the the fact of the matter is, is that when it comes down to Texas independence. Uh, a, a lot of the strongest support that we see come from those in minority community, communities because they understand that they have gotten a raw deal under the federal system and have been political pawns for far too long. Uh, this is not a left-right issue. This is not uh, you know, a Republican-Democrat issue or any of those other ridiculous things they use to divide us. This is a Texas issue uh, versus our membership inside of a political and economic union that no longer serves our interests. Got it. Okay. So I take that as a loud and clear no as to race. Absolutely not. There's no racial component to this in any shape, form, or fashion. Got it. Unless t- unless you consider Texans a race. <laughs> and I will tell you, many Texans sort of do. No, <laughs> no I, I think they, but some of them might actually consider barbecue to be a race, too. So don't, I, I don't know how serious I'd take that. No, no, no. They consider barbecue to be a weapon of mass deliciousness. <laughs> and Daniel, I'm glad that you see, I'm glad that you see this both with seriousness and with humor. It's a joy and a pleasure talking to you and uh, much success in your efforts. 
Hey, thanks, Charles. We had a great time. My pleasure. Me too. All right. Have a great day. AM 1030 KVOI, Cortero, Tucson, The Voice, and the Perfection Auto Works Studios. I invite the audience.